something about this one song in particular, uh, and I still don't know quite what it is that just, um, you know, speaks to me on that kind of primal level that really fascinating things do. And I think it's something to do with this very meditative quality that it has. It's kind of seems to be about kind of bending of time and space or something. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the instrumentation and the arrangement is very fluid and open ended. It bends the bases just all over the place. Very nothing is fixed, mm. um, and it kind of wobbles. The story itself is kind of wobbling backwards and forwards between dimensions. I think you know, and uh, yeah, it just uh, it usually gives me chills. You know, most most times just um, immersing yourself, immersing myself in that in that story. In a way, it's like a partner song to uh, Mother Stands for Comfort. It has sort of that that similar hypnotic spooky, very different feel from Waking the Witch, because Waking the Witch is just so jarring and rhythmic. And then this lulls you in, you know, the, you hear the pretty pentatonic melody, and it has major chords, you know, unlike the last song. Yeah. So it's just a, a nice contrast. It gives our ears a break. Welcome to Strange Phenomena, music of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link, and this week we're going to be talking about track nine from the Hounds of Love album and the fourth song in the Ninth Wave Suite, Watching You Without Me. Come let you know what's been happening. everybody to another episode of strange phenomena the music of kate bush oh well we are now but i think we're now about the halfway point i think yes of at least the halfway point not of the album we've already reached that point but i mean the second side we flip the record over and we're spending some time in the ninth wave and we get to continue that this week with watching you without me i have been saying this a lot but it's true that I am super excited for this episode because we have some really cool guests, and I think you guys are going to really enjoy listening to them. We've got Alex Dale. So Alex Dale was last on the, I think it was the, oh, it was in the Never Forever season for Blow Away. He was my fan for Blow Away, for Bill. Um, when we got into contact with each other, he was like, yes, I want to talk about this song back when I was planning out, like, I was still in Lionheart, but planning out Never Forever. And he said, I wanted to talk about this song. Well, we're going to get to hear from Alex Dale. It's been a while since we've had him on the show. So he's going to be the main fan for this episode, but we're also going to have some really cool musical analysis from none other than Paul Tate, who has been on the show. This is now going to be his third appearance this season. He was on for the title track episode hounds of love if you want to go back and you have it if you this is your first episode and you're jumping into this and you're like hi he was also on the hounds of love episodes you can go back of course we have like oh you got four albums worth of stuff too leading up to this point lots of stuff to listen to and paul Tate from atlanta is going to offer some really cool musical analysis and our main guest is going to be alex dale so first let's hear from
from Alex Dale about what the song means to him. As I said, he is a music journalist from London. And of course, like me, he's a fellow Kate Bush fan. Yay! So here's Alex. Hello, it's me, Alex Dale, all the way from London. Yes. <laughs> One of the few British people I've actually had on this show. I'm like... Oh, delighted to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so watching you without me, what is it about this song that makes it one of your favorite Kate songs? Well, um, that's a very good question. Um, I mean, it's 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 a crowded field on, on the Hounds of Love, I think, because they're all pretty much masterpieces in their own way. But there's uh, something about this one song in particular, uh, and I still don't know quite what it is that just um, you know speaks to me on that kind of primal level that really fascinating things do. And I think it's something to do with this very meditative quality that it has. It's kind of seems to be about kind of bending of time and space or something. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the instrumentation and the arrangement is very fluid and open ended. It bends the basses just all over the place. Very nothing is fixed, mm -hmm. uh, and it kind of wobbles. The story itself is kind of wobbling backwards and forwards between dimensions. I think you know, and uh, yeah, it just uh, it usually gives me chills. You know, most most times just. Um, immersing yourself immersing myself in that in that story um it, how do you feel about it well this was one of my favorites from the ninth wave suite because it's like you were saying it's very it's very hypnotic because mm. you're she's only going between two chords in the entire song but she's got enough going in and out with the instruments and certainly what she ends up doing with her voice that it makes it doesn't feel like a two chord song no no I mean, uh, The Big Sky is, is a t another two-chord song, I guess, oh, apart from that introductory sequence. Yeah, other than that, because yeah. that puts in, like, it's, it's in F major, but then it puts in an E-flat chord because she's kidding. Mm -hmm. She does that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So this, is, I think, uh, I think is in C, or maybe C, it's in a mode, I think. So it, it's not a, a C scale, it's C with a flattened B, so it's, I think, this is where my music theory starts to run out a little bit, but I think that makes it a mixolydian uh, mode, I think. So it, it can go C and then down to B flat and then up to C again and then down to B flat and then it just, it's doing that constantly and um, it's very hard to tell where the, the, the home, the harmonic home is. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's creating that instability is um, when the chords go down, the melody tends to go up. Uh, which is, um, I don't think, a, a, an amazingly original uh, piece of songwriting technique, but it's really helping here. Um, mm -hmm. Says you can hear me. <laughs> yeah, um, it's very hard to talk. About. I've noticed this a lot. A lot of your guests kind of have to break into song and remind themselves. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> which is really cool. <laughs> you can um, hear me. You can hear me. <laughs> yeah because she sings so low and stuff and yeah. just that that hypnotic drum in that drum beat too is like boom 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 it feels very much like a like a ticking of a clock almost Yes. Well, I think this is this is the theme, isn't it? Is this time mm -hmm. passing? 
So she sets the stall out with, uh, you watch the clock and they're moving the slow hands. So it's not just about time, but the subjectivity of time and how it moves and how it, how it can drag when you're bored or when you're waiting for something, mm-hmm. which again, it's like a really nice common shared human experience, but she makes something really interesting out of it, I think. And the, the, the beat, I think is like, a, almost like a metronome. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that's, I think is interesting is that um, it's quite a fast pace, but because she only kind of does every other beat, it f- suddenly feels very slow or maybe, and I was trying to time it against the clock because I was thinking, I wonder if it is actually one beat every second, like a real clock, but it's actually ever so slightly slower than that. So it really is about like a really slow dragging clock metronome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, it is fun just humming that little beat to yourself when you're you know waiting for mm-hmm. things <laughs> yeah and certainly also like kind of with the chord structure this i've noticed that quite a few songs on the ninth wave um sometimes only have one or two chords in the entire thing like this comes after waking the witch which is all based around c sharp minor yeah yeah and then you get this here with c and then b flat c and b flat yeah and just it, but it's all about the production and the mood and how she's using her voice and the different instruments to convey this, like, especially for this song, like the sense of a ghost who is watching her family just carry on life as usual and not really noticing that she's gone. So have you um, talked about any other Ninth Wave songs yet? Because Yes, I have. Like, I've, I've recorded at this point, I've recorded Waking the Witch. Okay. I've recorded In Dream of Sheep. And I've got another guy I'm actually talking to about In Dream of Sheep. So I'm going to have three people for that show. Well, I was curious to know just because it's hard to kind of see the songs outside of the, the, the Ninth Wave because they are of a, of a piece, as yes. you say. And they're a continuous rolling idea and they tell the story of somebody uh, drowning. I think this is probably fairly common knowledge among Cape mm-hmm. fans, but so the, the person has been washed to sea and uh, each song is a different aspect of that sensation. So you, uh, the little light is the, the life jacket blinking and um, waking the witch is this person thinking about the uh, women being immersed in water and what that means and then this is suddenly a real 90 degree turn from the kind of chaos and confusion of waking the witch which i also love it's absolutely one of my favorites because it just deals with uh, guilt and accusation so well and really fascinating but then this is a real i was going to say palate cleanser but that's a terrible pretentious way of saying it's a it's a real nice change of tone and a real really fascinating change of pace it's another domestic song, so she really is has a lot of things to say about domesticity and how interesting it is. Whoever this person is who's drowning, um, I know, I'm never sure whether it's a, a man or a woman necessarily, but they're, they're brought back home and they're watching the rest of their family uh, without them, hence, hence the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's curious the way she, that she uh, sets the, the tone Again, again, another one of her uh, favorite techniques is to make you ask who's narrating the song. 
so she says i'm not here rather than i'm not there mm-hmm. which i i was always puzzled about so is she in the, he or she bobbing around in the water in the sea imagining themselves in the house in which case i'm not there or is that character in the home um half there and half not there in which case i'm not here are you, are you following me? I'm not expressing yes. it very well. Yeah, yeah. No, but I, I kind of wonder that too. Like, um, yeah, it is kind of like you said. It's common knowledge that this part of the that the overarching story of this side is a woman or somebody drowning. And for me, I know for it's a little ambiguous as to whether this stuff is all actually happening or if it's like um, like when when I talk about in Waking the Witch that that might just be somebody going through that might be somebody going through a past life mm-hmm. i have interpreted the song as being the woman who's who's she's still in the water and this okay. is all like stuff that's going on in her imagination that yeah. she's imagining what it's like and she's mad when she says i'm not here it's that she's going through this dream where she is a ghost and she mm-hmm. is saying she's saying i'm not here is in like I'm like, hey, I'm on the other side, trying to get to, but I'm not actually in there, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, that 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 makes more sense. Yes, that makes sense to me now. So she's, she can imagine herself. I'm, I'm going to say she because it's Kate, so I'm going to assume mm. that it's it's a woman. And partly because, um, I when I saw the staging in Before the Dawn as well, she was the ghost, uh, in the home. So, um, for the, for the purposes of this, we'll assume that it, it's it's a woman, and and um. Yeah, so she's she's not here. So she's there, but she's not there. So she's standing in the room as a ghostly-like apparition, as a presence, maybe. You watch the clock move the slow hand I should have been home I'm not here and then she's trying to shout through that 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 plane that kind of um temporal temporal or whatever it is and that's uh, for me is always those kind of choppy voices is her trying to reach mm-hmm. through and the whether i'm not sure whether they're backwards or or both or you know chopped up or both they're really treated and distorted and i think also a quote from from the ninth wave as well i think no from from waking the witch has the same kind of Help me, baby. Listen to me. Mm-hmm. Talk to me. Yeah. And I never know quite. You can hear the tone brilliantly. So, you know, you hear the, it's a, you know, um, talk, talk to them. Um, I can't remember now, but it's very much, um, it gets me every time because it is so beseeching and, and um, helpless and somebody crying out for help. And it's the same sentiment here. I think it's this woman who's trapped and, 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 um, it's making the same cry through the the, the space, time, space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oof, I've really the not wibbly wobbly timey wine. Yes, quite. Yes, <laughs> I've never tried to explain this before, so I feel like I'm really reaching here. But I think you know what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
scene. Uh, what else have I said about waking the witch? No, not waking the witch. Oh, watching watching the witch. you without me. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, 108 beats per minute. That's right. Uh, yeah, how low can her voice go? So she's singing so low. Mm. Those opening bars. Um, lower than I can sing, which is, um, I have to really struggle. If I want to try and hum that to myself as I'm humming along with her singing, it's incredibly low. I think it's like a low F or a low A or something. Um, so she really has control over her, her vocal technique and her, her instrument. Uh, and it's it's barely, and the, the vocals are whispered, they're barely there, and the sense is barely there. Uh, and of course, it is a, just a, a really beautiful demonstration of the idea of, that um, you can't hear me and you really can't I'm really low I'm distant you, you can't hear the sense of what I'm saying mm. uh, and, uh, and and um, yeah it's a very nice very nice evocation of that um, what, what, what's, what, what do you get from this what, what's you what do you well I get to like it's it's her like like kind of a lot of people when they speak, they kind of go like into their chest voice. Mm. Um, and I try not to do too much of that because otherwise I know for me, like my voice will start to get a little tired. So that's why sometimes I'm kind of talking up here. So it's like <laughs> the sound is up here, but it's, it's very low. You, know, you can hear me. Mm-hmm. You can hear me. And it is, it's like with her singing so low like that, it's, it feels very whispery. And it's also like she's singing the notes well but she's more of a soprano. And so generally for sopranos, when you sing that low, it's not going to be as loud and resonant because that's not kind of where the sweet spot of your voice is. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's the, the choice to sing low like that, I think is really interesting. And then the rest of, you know, you watch the clock move the slow hand is a little bit more in like the middle voice. So I think the other, the other main star is, is the bass uh, who uh, is credited as Danny Thompson. I'm, I'm not familiar with him as a bass player, but it's a beautiful piece of playing. And I think uh, it's an upright, I think, if, I, if I'm if i hearing it correctly. And um, it, it's sliding around from note to note. And it slides... Um, it's a very, I think... It tends to miss a particular note in that scale or that mode that makes it sound like a slightly pentatonic as well mm-hmm. which is a very odd kind of quasi orientalish sounding and then there's a there's a, a sample of what's could be some kind of Hare krishna that drops in as well um so it has the the drums that are going ting ting um and i never know what that means it seems perfect it fits perfectly and it seems to make perfect sense but I'm always at a loss what it signifies, um, some kind of transcendence or something. I'm not sure. You know, what, um, I don't know. What do you think? What do, what, do you ever wonder? Yeah, that's what I kind of feel like, like that dreamy little part that's kind of behind her. It almost feels like, mm-hmm. oh, because it's somebody from, she's picturing that she's, she's dreamed that she's a ghost. And so it's supposed to sound kind of ethereal and heavenly almost. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. And I have no idea what instrument that is, but whatever it is that she sampled, it sounds really pretty. I would it's probably the Fairlight. She probably put something into the Fairlight.
let's let's bring this back to watching you without me. Let me think. What else have I said? Um, so, uh, watching you without me is um, one of the other funny things about uh, Kate. Is um, I, I think we discussed this on the uh, under the ivy, or maybe we will discuss it depending on sequencing of events. Mm-hmm. Yep, we'll discuss. Uh, okay. <laughs> Is her uh, imagery, her uh, the the kind of English countryside imagery? So, uh, England being a very small island, you're never more than I had to look this up. You're never more than seventy miles away from the coast. Uh, and as a child, I would spend a lot of time at the coast visiting my grandma. Uh, and I studied in Brighton, which is on the coast. So seagulls to me are very evocative of a very particular thing. And she samples the seagulls and she puts this through the song as well. And I always find that really, it just um, it gets me right in my core, mm. just hearing the gulps. Uh, are you, are you're on the coast as well, is that right? Or near the coast? Yeah. Um, well, I actually kind of grew up more like inland suburbia. Oh. But when I would go visit my family in California, especially, okay. um, when that was like one of the few times I remember really going to the ocean. Uh-huh. Um, I was going to the Pacific because we had a lot of family that lived in Southern California and we'd go visit them and then we would spend a day at the beach or something. And so for me, for me, seagulls, I think of when I was in California, when I would go visit family in California and at mm. least out in California, the gulls are huge. <laughs> and I like to think that the gulls in California are huge because they keep eating people's trash. Yes. I'm sure that's true. Because <laughs> <laughs> there are so many people like in Cal- yeah. the, the population density of California. Everybody's like crowded near the coast. And especially mm-hmm. like in the L.A. area that's just like talk about sprawl. It's like, OK, that city runs into this city, which runs into that one. And mm-hmm. so when I, th- I think of vacation, actually, as well, when I think of sequels. How, how odd. And yeah. Because I, I I managed to get to Los Angeles and uh, I didn't realize Beverly Beverly Hills is actually a separate city within mm-hmm. Los Angeles. Yeah. I know like it's this. crazy yeah. <laughs> and it's super expensive. I feel yeah. very poor, like driving down Rodeo Drive, like oh god, I can't <laughs> afford it. I can't even afford to look in the window. <laughs> oh, I know it's yeah, it's a weird weird place. Anyway. So, and she also builds in uh, Morse code as well, which is, of course, mm-hmm. entirely appropriate given the the big picture of the ninth wave, which is this kind of seafaring. Um, and it's a nice metaphor for that kind of coded difficulty of communication mm-hmm. as well. So there's lots of staccato breaking up the the bending and the ebbing and flowing of the music. Suddenly, there's a very rhythmic. And this is probably another good thing to try and research. I've never looked up what that Morse code means, if it means anything. Um, I'm sure some obsessive fan somewhere has probably looked into that, right? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me see now. Um, 
I pretty much sell my per again hypnotic songs, music composition. Uh, where does it go after this? Jig of Life, right? Yep, Jig of Life comes after this. Yeah. So it's nice to to think of that the resolution. You can't hear me leaving, just fades away very nicely beautifully illustrating that motif uh, and then the contrast suddenly of those strings mm-hmm. stretching away in this jig so you'll have a nice when you talk about jig of life um you'll have a nice contrast again so she's good at pacing the whole thing is paced very nicely and the contrasts are very interesting and this feels really airy and spacey in the middle of that some very in between some very dense songs where you've got waking the witch on the one hand and then the jig of life on the other hand mm-hmm. this is really floating and open And now time to bring on our second guest for this episode. Paul Tate has been on two other episodes so far. As I mentioned, he was on the Hounds of Love title track episode. And I forgot about this first time around that I did this. He was also on the In Dream of Sheep episode, talking about that song and breaking it down and analyzing some of the different chords and all that. And now we're going to get to hear from him for a third time, talking about the music of Watching You Without Me. Alex mentioned a mixolydian mode so it's a particular mode of music that you can compose in and Paul goes into great detail about that and also what really makes some of the parts of the song that really make this very unique here's Paul hello Cecily hello Paul sorry I was a little bit late I was baking something and it turned out it was taking a little longer than I thought and I was like oh shoot this isn't going to be done in time (laughs) oh that's no problem Paul Tate Indeed, yay! The fellow music nerd. That's right. <laughs> I'm here at my here at my piano in Georgia, ready to talk about watching you without me. So, what is especially striking to you about the music in this song? Because I think the music and the song and the production is really interesting, and I'm curious to hear what you have to say about that. I think the first thing I would say, as looking at the sheet music uh, here in front of me. To American eyes, we look at the um, key signature, we see one flat, and we think automatically, oh, she's in the key of F, or perhaps she's in the key of D minor, which is the relative minor of F major. But if you thought that, folks, you would be wrong. Um, Kate is actually writing in a mode here. She is in the key or the, the mode, what we would call mixolydian mode, on C. So it sounds a lot like C major. But the difference is um, all the B's are B-flat. So that's why we've got the sheet music in one flat. Um, The whole song is based around C chords that rock back and forth with B-flat chords. And we call that mixolydian. So that's a little different for Kate. She doesn't do that that often. We see it again comes up on the red shoes she starts doing a little bit more of that there mm-hmm. um but yeah let's see so the whole song is based on those two chords just c and b flat major and the melody itself 
It's got this exotic, again, pentatonic kind of feel. Because it mainly uses those five notes. And for Kate, it's quite low. She starts off on a low F, which is toward the very bottom of her vocal range. And eventually, the background vocals do go up to normal Kate heights. Uh, it hits a high F uh, in the background of the middle section. So she uses a full two octaves of her voice in this one. But most of it is in that smoky, dusky, sexy low range. Mm-hmm. But the trick here is is she's not speaking very clearly. I think to sort of paint the um, the lyric, you can't hear me, you can't hear me, you can't feel me. Um, she sort of mumbles her way through a lot of these lyrics. Yeah. Uh, very in a very unique delivery, wouldn't you say? Ah, uh, yeah. It's almost like. It's almost like uh, you, she's doing it on purpose because she's supposed to be like a ghost. And it's totally. like, you know, it's just you, like you're not quite sure like what's going what the what they're saying. It's just the, the you know that there's something there. And what makes it even more mysterious, I think, is because the melody itself has all these notes that are outside the chord. She ends up on the D, which is in part of a C chord normally. So it gives it that a little bit of a buzz. She keeps coming back to that B flat, which is also not in a C chord. So I think that combination of the mumbling of the lyric with a hypnotic chord progression and these notes that don't quite belong makes it feel unsettled and and almost Mm -hmm. Um, Once she gets through that section, it does get a little clearer on You Watch the Clock. Because most of those notes were stepping out of the pentatonic feel now, and she's more into just traditional chords and, and writing. And the words are actually a little bit clearer, I think, through the section, too. You Watch the Clock Move the Slow Hand. I should have been home hours ago, but I'm not here. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool stuff. You watch the clock move the slow hand. I should have been home hours ago, but I'm not here. But I'm not here. We one of the unique things about this track, I think, is the uh, the use of the bass. The there is a bass that plays, but not in a traditional way. It kind of sticks its head up and and plays like a little riff, and then goes away and comes back a couple of bars later. So it's like um, a song without a, a real bass guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, the bass becomes a character in the way that um, it was on that other track from Hounds of Love that we talked about. Um, 
And then um, I love the use of the strings, which is probably through the Fairlight, if I'm okay. Those, um, those beautiful orchestral-sounding strings that come in with fifth, and occasionally they'll fill in the chord with the third. And, uh, and that gives it an even more cinematic, almost kind of a feel, don't you think? I think so, yes. And then we've got these also, some more of the cinematic effects. We hear seagulls, we hear the sounds of water. And then she's using that, that technique that we heard uh, you talked about last week in Waking the Witch, where she's got these disjointed uh, vocals or talking when she's trying to say, listen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, at least you called it the use of a gate where it's, it's, you can kind of tell what she's saying, but it's all broken up. So again, it's that, that broken communication, I think, that she's trying to, to paint. And then the, sound, the other unique thing about this track, I think, musically, is what she does in the middle section, where it, it almost sounds like Indian. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a total shift in feel. Now, why she does that, I, I don't know. It's very cool. Uh, I did some reading online to see what other people thought, and some people think it's a Japanese instrument called the gamelan. I, I, I'm not sure, but it's just a unique Indian sound that, that pulls us out of um, that sort of seductive C to B flat over and over again. Maybe we take a little trip to India. I know. <laughs> I've always loved that part. It just sounds so... It's like the part... Or with with a kiss, I pass the key to how that part sounds really dreamy and Houdini. And that's like, I get the same sort of like floaty sort of feeling when I hear yes. that part. Yes, people lighting all kinds of cigarettes and enjoying it. Yes. And I think that she also does a little bit of backmasking on this track. There are some vocals online that are toward the end of the song that are very unintelligible. I don't know if you talked with our other listener about that, but it's, I wonder if it's something played backwards. There's a few, uh, you know, the lyric sites you can go to online where people write down the lyrics of songs. There are a couple that say, uh, it's, I'm not here or you can't hear me backwards i don't know that that's actually the case it's very cool whatever Mm -hmm. it is but um i think they're guessing just like we're guessing (laughs) probably (laughs) Um, (laughs) but the overall effect of the track i think i what i get from this it flows out of the chaos of waking the witch and it's kind of in a way it's like a partner song to uh, mother stands for comfort it has sort of that that similar hypnotic (laughs) spooky 
very different feel from Waking the Witch, because Waking the Witch is just so jarring and rhythmic. And then this lulls you in, you know, the, you hear the pretty pentatonic melody, and it has major chords, you know, unlike the last song. Yeah. So it's just a, a nice contrast. It gives our ears a break. And hearing her sing in that lower register is, is really unique, because we don't hear low Fs from Kate a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Very sexy. Yeah. yeah, it's a very unique song. I'll be honest, like this was, I actually used to put this, uh, actually I had this on a mix CD I made of like favorite songs from at the time, like of my favorite songs from my favorite female artists at that time. And actually a lot of them I still like, I mean, obviously like Kate Bush and I think Milan Farmer might've been on there too. And mm-hmm. I know it is a little bit some of the songs on the ninth wave really don't make much sense if you listen to it on its own. Like I was talking about with Waking the Witch, like you hear that out of its context, you're just like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> totally, yeah. But this one, for some reason, yeah, I know if I'm in the right mood, I'll listen to Watching You Without Me on it. If I listen to Watching You Without Me on its own, I do go, ooh, maybe I want to listen to the rest of the ninth wave. But this was one that, like uh, Andream of Sheep, I felt would be okay on its own. And it never was released as a single or a B-side or anything, was it? No, it wasn't. Um, but it is, yeah, I think it clocks in at around four minutes, so it's a little bit more substantial. And uh, there's been a couple of fun fan videos that were made mm-hmm. where they kind of tried to paint the picture, you know, the story of of the ghost. Um and some are more successful than others, but it's kind of fun to see. info on the production of this song it's yeah i struggled to find notes about it um so there's the bass which feels like a real live piece of singing Mm -hmm. and then uh, the rest of it does feel very like layered samples so the the kind of there's a whistle which is doing that little repeated motif (laughs) which to me sounds like it's been cut and looped and um to get, and it it feels slightly odd and unreal as a quali- as a as a result, but in a really nice way, in a really interesting way. Um, and then there's there are strings as well. There is, so I'm not sure that to me sounds like a live orchestra, but it's hard to tell, or maybe a little quintet, quartet or quintet or something yeah. like that. I'm not sure that it's real strings because um, looking at the credits for the song, mm-hmm. there's the there's the drums from Stuart Elliott and then the double mm-hmm. bass, like you're saying, with Tan- Danny Thompson. Yeah, so he played on Pull Out the Pin on the last album, and he's here on the double bass. And it does, it sounds very, like, like almost watery. That's, ah, do you know, I never made that connection before because I love Pull Out the Pin as well for the bass. So this guy is obviously... A really talented bass player, and mm-hmm. sounds like it, it, it sounds as well. As soon as Kate finds somebody that she can works with that she likes, she'll just use them again and again and again. So I'm glad she 
chose this guy for this base because it's and i think um Eberhard weber is another guy who's all over hounds of love as well on i think mother stands for comfort i think is that right um, yes he was on mother stands for comfort yes so she likes her base i think and then there's lots of space above it um and uh, partly i think because the bass maybe wobbles a little bit between being a, uh, a melodic instrument and a percussive instrument mm-hmm. whether it's in the harmonies or whether it's in the rhythm section depending on almost who's playing it or what they're given to play um so here it's 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 yeah as you say it's kind of wobbling around that metronome and and pulling it and pushing it and that's what's making it really interesting watery is right so water is a good obviously as part of the whole idea that she's in the water it would make perfect sense if this thing was ebbing and flowing and expanding and contracting like water mm-hmm. uh and i think i think like time as well just yeah time and space are just becoming meaningless or melting almost which is really nice really interesting mm-hmm you saw before the dawn so how did did this look on before the dawn um it looked it looked really great (laughs) (laughs) the way it was broken down was broken down into three sections so the the opening section was kate and the band playing uh some of her big hits in a very straightforward way so Mm -hmm. she was almost her own uh warm-up act in a way she would come on and she did um Lily, which is fantastic, just straight into it. Uh, and she did uh, Hounds of Love, Running Up That Hill. Um, and then she went into uh, the Ninth Wave. And uh, it was extraordinary. So she, there was loads of um, theatrical trickery, uh, loads of really interesting set pieces, um, loads of um, visual interests. Um, and for this particular song, um, it was quite a literal interpretation. Uh, so there was the house. Well, I should say it was this. is. Uh, I had a tiny issue with this. Uh, I mean, I hate to, you know, be critical of Kate because she's amazing. But, you know, um, the story, the story of the ninth wave was was kind of fleshed out with kind of maybe a little interstitial dramatic pieces that I don't think was strictly speaking entirely necessary. I think you could have, she could have just done the songs and they would have been amazing. Um, they were nice. They were very well written and they were very well acted, but to me, they just kind of slowed it down a, a little bit. I'm sure other people will disagree, but, uh, what, so what? <laughs> me not having ever been there, I kind of have yeah. to agree with you. Okay. And especially like, I know the little skit that comes before this, yeah, yeah I, th- I agree. It's kind of cute, yeah. but because I don't have the visuals to go with what's going on, it feel I feel very disconnected from it. Yeah, And it's a part so, where I'm like, I wish that I could see what was going on stage 
for this all to be able to make sense? And what is the audience laughing at? I don't get it. So the performances are really cute. I mean, there's no denying. It was Bertie Bertie Bush, so Mm -hmm. Kate's son. Yeah. Is really talented and very charming. He's got a lovely voice. Who wouldn't want to see him on stage? Yeah, yeah. Um, But at the same time, I mean, my... Again, I don't want to be unnecessarily negative, but my sneaking suspicion is that they're, do, they're resetting some dramatic thing, some stage thing, and they need to fill five minutes or maybe two minutes because they have a huge set piece that needs to happen. And they're like, okay, well, let's just tell the story of the, the father and the son. Um, so that, that's my guess. Um, and then the, the clever bit, the bit that I think really sold it was during the jittery voices talk to me baby listen to me i I'm, I'm never do it justice the the lighting was um really kind of like a strobe for every syllable uh and that and that's when you saw kate silhouetted standing at the back of the room out of nowhere uh, and it was a piece of stage trickery i don't know how they did it but it was really good she just she just appeared in the room and the two actors were ignoring her and she and she was the ghost and the ghost was visible through the the strobe lights and the the, the voices so it looked great and it looked really impressive and uh, you could see a lot of people uh were taken aback by it because it was a really nice effect uh and the, and the uh, house itself was kind of at sea it was wobbling slowly backwards if i remember correctly it was certainly at an angle so it wasn't like a, a rectilinear house where everything's at 90 degrees beautifully. It was all tilted like it was on a, a capsizing boat. And I think if I remember rightly, the whole thing was just wobbling ever so slightly like like they were at sea, um, which it, it uh, led into uh, Hello Earth very nicely as well. So that was, for me, one of the best bits of Before the Dawn was Hello Earth. So the the, the guys doing the singing were, were on a, a buoy um, that was in the water and it was just at an angle uh, and uh, it was very serene. Uh, it didn't need much uh, visual interest. It wasn't competing with the melody and it was just adding and amplifying and bringing something different to it. So I, I think if you, if you have the time and I'm sure you have the inclination whether you have the time or not, it's, it would be a really interesting exercise to look at all of her visual stuff and compare it to her music stuff. Because I think she's, while she's an absolutely brilliant um, songwriter, I think when she does visuals, they tend to be a bit literal, and they te- they they tend to, in some ways, almost take away a little bit from what she's trying to do with the songs. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the good stuff is when she doesn't do that. So I think the video for um, Hounds of Love is fantastic because it's not directly about the hounds of love it's like a, it's a pastiche of a hitchcock film uh, and it looks great but something like um i'm trying to think of a good counter example now uh army dreamers it doesn't tell you much about the song other than their soldiers in a in a forest um which seems a shame it seems like a missed opportunity um or even something like babushka I mean, it's easy. It's easy in retrospect to say that it's not as good as the song because you never know the constraints that somebody's working in and how much mm-hmm. time, how much money they have, and all of those things. But to me, or even Experiment Four, as much as I love the song and I love the video, the video is telling the story of the song, and it would have, could have been more interesting if they'd 
if she'd done something else mm. with it. Now, I, I feel like I'm setting myself up for a lot of, maybe a lot of flack here. I don't know. But that's that's my take take on this. Is, you, you, I don't know. What, what, what do you think? What's, do you have feelings about this one way or another? You know? um, actually, I do as well. Um, I do. I enjoy a lot of her visuals. But I do agree with you that they can be quite literal. Yeah. Um, like, or even there goes a tenor. It yeah. is literally a bank robber. It's like playing out the story of the song. Yeah. And I know this came up in the night of the Swallow episode that, yes, it was a single only in Ireland, but it was a single. I'm actually glad that there wasn't a video because it would have been, I feel like it would have been too literal. I like to yeah. kind of imagine myself what the visual would have been. I can tell you now what the video would have been. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been her in an airplane probably. Yeah. Sing, singing the song yeah probably yeah. um so you know kate we love you get somebody else to do your videos i don't know is that yeah. is that harsh i don't know i don't think so necessarily i mean part of why i like doing the show is like getting different viewpoints and like like i don't yes she's my favorite artist but there are still some things that i'm like Ooh, i'm a little yeah. out. I, I don't know Did, have i answered your question about um uh before the dawn um, yes yes okay good good because you were talking so about I, it like the set and it, at least of what i've seen of bootlegs yeah it is pretty much playing out the song yes yeah um and uh, yeah let me think. yeah so 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 yeah sorry I'm, I'm just trying to remember everything about that gig now it was it was a long ass show as well is the other thing as well so you mm-hmm. really did, did cram a lot of stuff in there. And um, some of the aerial stuff, I think she should have got it. I think I think she should have tightened it up dramatically. But anyway, that's a discussion for another time as well. Uh, I suppose, you know, she wants to give people value for money. I get it. Mm-hmm. Come let you know what's been I think that about covers it for the song. So thank you so much for being on the show to talk about watching you without me. Uh, You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. Wow. So we are going to be moving from a very, very dreamy and spectral sort of song here this week and watching you without me. And then next week we get to dance a jig with Jig of Life. And we're going to get to have two fans for that episode. We've got Craig Houston and Christine Kelly, both of whom are Patreon supporters. It's worth mentioning that if you are enjoying what you hear, you can go to patreon.com slash Kate Bush podcast and support the 
the show and get all sorts of extra content. Just saying. But that's all going to be next week. So next week, join us for a discussion of a jig of life. See everybody then. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.